I got commissioned. Um, as you know, my tentacles are way out on Facebook, and uh, this um, uh, this film producer found me, and uh, I am now producing a docu- film documentary on Stan Getz, and I wanted to know if you ever crossed paths with Stan or even had a chance to play with Stan. Uh, check out, yes, I have. <laughs> Please uh, tell me. Check out uh, yeah. the uh, uh, CTI album. Uh, it's not Giant Box. It's, uh, it's the one we did in Montra. We ha- It's a two-record set. It's with Stan, Dexter Gordon, uh, I don't know, the cast of thousands, really. A whole bunch of people. It's a big band, and Stan gets is in the is in the is in the horn section. Is it called uh, blue, like Blue Montro or something? Uh, you... no, it, uh, yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, right. Montreux Summit, uh, Montreux Summit, uh-huh. and it's uh, uh, Volume One and Two. And you, I'm there. I'm I'm the drummer. Uh, Alfonso Johnson's playing bass. Uh, George Duke is playing keyboards. Bob James is playing keyboards. Uh, it's uh, oh, Eric Gale is guitar. Um, and it just goes on like this. You want to talk about um, your 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 uh, what what stood out to you? Not just the, I mean, you you played with him, but uh, what how you view Stan Getz? What his brilliance was and his legacy is a really is in my mind as I do more research, a forerunner of of he was a bebop card carrying bebopper. Yes, he was. Uh, he came in at a time when. He kind of was was part of the guys to me as I listened to a lot of stuff. You could hear him at Howard Rumsey's place uh, in the lighthouse, uh, working with uh, uh, along with uh, with Jerry Mulligan when they were doing the pianoless quintets and all that kind of stuff. Where they, there was no piano player in the band, it was like the the horn players were actually playing chords and stuff and backing up the soloists, um, and with the rhythm section, which is very very unique. I, I think it's 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 a great. Great way to go. So I mean, in essence, it, it was like everybody was always involved, and and they were playing. They knew the changes, so they knew what notes would fit where, when they weren't playing a solo, you know. So that that was very unique. And I think Miles was even in one one or two of those those, those bands. Yes, he was when he was on the West Coast. Absolutely. And 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 uh, you know to hear, um, oh man, what's his name now? Um, he sang and he played trumpet. I can't remember when he died. Um, One of the Condoli brothers? No, Condoli. No, 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 no. He was, he was in. He, I don't want to refer to him this way, but he was incarcerated at least. I can't remember his name now, but he was a great trumpet player. And he sounded a lot like Miles, but he had a wonderful velvet voice. Um, this is a very okay. Anyway, continue. He, uh, anyway, uh, he, he was in that band. He was him and Getz, and it, I heard some some recordings on West Coast. It was off the hook, man. Um, that was one side of Getz. And then somebody, I don't know how that worked out. Maybe it was Creed Taylor. I don't know, because Creed was with, um, it was on the West Coast. But he brought he got, brought Stan up forward and got him into the whole, if it wasn't for Stan, I don't know how, how much Bossa Nova would have done. But that Stan Getz put a, a few hits out there that uh, stand the test of time, man. You know, you, you and know, it's about that sound. You know, it's, he had a very unique sound. Very much like uh, um, uh, what's his name, Paul um, from from Brubeck. Oh, Desmond, uh, Paul Desmond. Paul Desmond, alto saxophone, different sound. I mean, you know, it was like it's not for everybody, you know. But it, it was very unique, very clear, very very straightforward. Getz had the same kind of situation too. I don't think any. I heard too many people emulate those two cats at all. It's just that they were because they were unique in a way. Everybody goes towards train. Sonny Rollins, uh, 
and a few others maybe, you know. But uh, those two, Train and Sonny Rollins, big time. Oh, Zoot Sims, you know, Al Khan, uh, Phil Woods, sounded a lot like Charlie, Charlie Parker, but not, not Getz and not, not Paul Desmond. Did, did, I mean, you talk about uh, Stan Getz popularizing boss of music. Um, yeah. Was he um, uh, looked at as some, I mean, because I've talked to a lot of people about the idea that there was this split with Coltrane being the authentic jazzer, Stan being the, the pretty boy uh, uh, hit maker. And there was this divide where, you know, you had this burning menta- burning quality of train uh, and then more. I mean, even Liebman said it. He goes, I, you know, at the time I was just trying to turn it up to 11 and you know, with rock music coming in, I was just totally into train. And, it, and I really didn't. Uh, I thought the boss stuff was kind of snoozy. And I just wanted to know if you thought that that he is Stan given the respect that he's given or is it where does he stand in, 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 in your book as far as uh, his legacy? Say again, say again. I, I, I missed, I missed well, the part. Yeah, I mean, just just the idea of was there, was it a press? The press was the press very much into sort of dividing between a Coltrane school and a Stan Getz school, and also did Stan, like for instance, when he made those plethora of hits with uh, mm-hmm. jazz, jazz samba and and Girl mm-hmm. from Ipanema and all this stuff, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I, 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 the 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 line that Liebman said, you know, from a lot of the cats was. You know, if you if you if you made a hit record or a lot of them, there must be something wrong with you. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just curious if that is something that you, you can speak to. Well, I think I, I I can speak to that. You know, it it it's it's coming from the again, it's coming from the society in which we live. Uh, somebody decided that jazz was a was a was a, you, you had to be down and out. You had to pay quote unquote your dues. You had to have uh, alcohol in your brain in in, in your blood. You had to have some kind of some kind of drug uh, 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 get put into you. Whether and then and then of course you had to go to jail for taking these drugs, even though the people who put you in jail were the ones who gave you the drugs. Right. <laughs> so it you know it's it's like all of that. I mean, when you get to go to a festival or something like this, what used to irk me was that most of the festivals that I saw were sponsored by drugs. It was amazing, cigarettes. Uh, White Horse Whiskey, Seagram's Jazz Festival, the Newport Jazz Festival, the Marlboro Jazz Festival, uh, Lucky Strike Jazz Chesterfield sponsored by Sun. And, and it just went on like this. And and at the same time, you know, if you made any money, if you were if you were uh, uh, Herbie Hancock and you got Watermelon Man, hey, he sold out. Right. What? You know, uh, or or Weather Report. You know, hey, they sold out. And then they had to defend themselves. No, we're still a jazz band. Hey, hey, wait a minute. What about the music, man? Right. You know? Right. You know, what about the individuals who created it? You know, and, 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 and it's, not, it, it, it's not like that's a problem. It's, we are in the, the masses in, in most of the world are like this. They're, I mean, the world is controlled and, and, and told what to think every second of every day as a mass. And they just go in that direction. Why? Because somebody put the bucks up to pay them to do that to themselves. You know, and it's an interesting situation. I mean, look, we all have to eat. We got to put food on the table. If you don't do what the programmer says, you may not have a job. You know, uh, you don't know who's standing behind you. It is what it is, man. You know, so who's to say? 
how do you do? So you, you try to do the best you can. You bring these things up, you, you know. But it, reality is, is that it doesn't matter, you know. And so, therefore, all of that that you think about these guys, it, it, it is the way it has been. I mean, when you see people like, uh, uh, I forgot this guy's name now. Great. He was also, an, he emulated Charlie Parker a lot, and I can't remember his name. But he's leaning at Birdland. It's a, there's a famous picture of this guy, and he's, he's leaning on the on the awning of the, the the covering of the awning at Birdland where you would walk in and he's out I think it was Art Pepper somebody like this sure. he's out of his mind and and you and that's what you see and here's a genius you know but nobody talks about him as much as for what he has contributed but the fact that you know he's in and out of jail he's this and that and you go okay you know enough of this already you know why who gave him well how come he didn't get the the, the money that he was supposed to get to get something to eat, you know, or right. to get to pay for his... Oh, no, they didn't have the money. Why? They decided to give him drugs instead. You know, and, and, and the stories keep going on like this, and you go, so this guy, if he had gotten paid for, for you know, he did a job, he played, gave him the money, if, if it started off like that, he probably would not have had those kind of problems. But, I mean, again, we are our own worst enemy. You know the human race. This is what it is, man. Did you uh, did because you 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 nailed it? Uh, but even before when you were just a kid in Panama, I mean, Getz was coming up with Tea Garden. Uh, he learned how to bend his right arm, like you just talked about. Mm -hmm. All the, the the he got pillaged as far as an alcoholic, and eventually became yeah yep. became uh -huh. an, got into heroin with the Four Brothers. Yeah. Or, you know, and yeah. and um, when you became part of the studio scene you know, with Grady doing mm -hmm. stuff, you know, and going down to Jim and Andy's or whatever, you know, I mean, in that, right. I mean, was it, st was it still the same that if you were not on junk, then you couldn't be trusted? I mean, did when did that ch fundamentally when Stan was coming up, it was like, I mean, he was also a Jekyll and Hyde character, but at the same time, right. it was like, there was this, this thing in jazz that you talked about that if you weren't doped up, then you could not yeah. be trusted. I mean, can you? What did that? What's that? When did that change? I mean, and how prevalent was that when you started in your career? I I don't know how prevalent it was because I I was so maybe I was protected and I didn't even know it. And for whomever did that for me, I thanked them. Yeah. If there, anybody was on the outside, I I think I was just totally naive. I, I mean, I couldn't figure out what to do with that stuff. I didn't understand why anybody would want it. And so, because I wanted to enjoy what I was doing, and I was not interested in being involved in something if I if I couldn't understand what it was, and if no one could no one could tell me if I could only see them in a stupor or not not somehow acting in the way that I thought they should be, then I I didn't I didn't condemn them for it, but I didn't understand, so I went the opposite direction. And just decided to sit on a fence and watch and see well, where's this going, man. But that was just me, right? And 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 because of that, I have. I mean, I haven't. I am not anywhere near. I mean, when people say to me, uh, for instance, as an example, "Hey, man, how come you you've never done anything like uh, Letterman or any of that?" I said, "Well, I don't know, uh, but I have to assume that somebody there didn't like me, so I didn't do it." You know, it's all, it, it's not in it's in, not in my hands. I mean, if no one invites me, then I can't go. How come I don't go to Japan more? I don't know. I, uh, but I've been there a lot. 
it, for me in my in my lifetime, 10, 15 times, that's a lot for me. I, I, I never expected to be there more than once or twice. So I'm happy. But when you look at a lot of the other artists who, who, who almost live there all the time, you go, wow, in 40 years' time, they may have spent more time, they may have spent 10, 15 years there. And I, I have no idea. I couldn't say that. You know, uh, I don't think I spent a year. But I did invi- enjoy it all, and, and every, every, time, every time I was there was an amazing experience. So I'm, I feel I'm blessed for that, and I just walk away and go the other way uh, because my life is in parts of the world like Europe, and, and it's, it's not about playing. It's about living. So, of course, all of the experiences I have, whether it be in Japan or rarely being in China or whatever it's been, it's been a real plus. It, it, I, it's a win and win for me. And the more I do or the less I do, ah, who cares? You know, it's about what you get out of it, not how many times you do it. It's not, it's about the quality and not the quantity. Well, and also, uh, just going back to, uh, what you were talking about, you know, Lenny White, uh, you know, he never wanted to never did drugs and alcohol because he wanted to know that, you know, to play music from the heavens was real, and there was no, uh-huh. there was no, you know, substance that was altering it. Um, uh-huh. And I, and I, I really respect that. I mean, to me, that's the rhythm section there. You and George played with Stan at Montreux. Uh, what do you remember from that, from that gig, if anything? Uh, I remember that when I, I was on the road with my band just prior to being there, because I don't think I was working with George by then anymore. That was 1977. That's correct. Right. Uh, 76, yeah. I, no, 76 was with George. 77 was when the Montreux Summit came. And that was the following year. And mm-hmm. I came there, and I, and I, I remember I was, I was wired in a way, because we were playing a lot of up-tempo things. And I, had to, I realized that when I got into the band, I had to really make an adjustment because now I wasn't playing in a, in a, in a small rhythm section anymore. I was playing for, honestly, this was us. You know, this was Buddy Rich's band enhanced by all these other guys. Jeez. Okay. So you had all these people on the bandstand and I was the only drummer as far as I can remember. And we played a huge show. It was, that's why it came out on, on two records, but it, most of, it was Buddy Rich's band and me and all these other cats, uh, even. Well, I'm gonna. I'm not, I, I got it here right for you. You got Alfonso Johnson uh, played yeah. with you, and then uh, let's see, you got Hubert Laws, uh-huh. uh, Eric Gale. Uh, uh-huh. You had uh, Bob James and Duke, uh, Ralph yeah. McDonald, Benny yes. Benny Golson, uh, yes. uh, Slide Hampton, who I just interviewed. Uh, Woody, Sh- I mean, this is, I mean, <laughs> and you were, and you. So this was big band jet. I mean, this is unbelievable. Yeah. So I walk in, and I, I find myself having to make a major adjustment immediately, if not sooner, because these guys are in, of the mind, especially the, I call uh, Stan and, and, and Dexter and them, the older guys, Benny. Right. They want four on the floor, four beats to the bass drum, thank you very much, you know, need to know. They, that's their sense of security. That's, their, that's what they're used to. And... I had to get myself, my head wrapped around that because I, I had just come from an environment where I'm the leader. I play whatever I want, you know. That's right. And, and, and so all of a sudden, and, but it was not just to, to, to satisfy them. 
it was also to play the music properly that we were going to present because I understood who they were, where they were coming from, and 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 so that meant and, and then again it was my respect for all these people. Not to mention I didn't want to mess up. I wanted to be. I didn't want to stand out. I wanted to be part of the band, and being part of the band means that I have to generate a specific amount of security so that when these cats start to play, they feel good about what they're doing. And we got into some things that uh, made them have had to stop and turn around and take a look. And and that was always for me. It's it's it, it's an indication that I'm doing the right thing. No one has to say, "Man, you are playing your butt off." No, 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 no. It's about the body language. How people patting their foot and feeling comfortable about what's going on. People wanting to get up and play because they want a piece of the solo as well because it has meaning now. They feel comfortable. That's where I want to be, and that's what we're talking about with the rhythm section retreat. You know, to be able to get that kind of feeling happening on a consistent basis is very, very important in music now and forever.